So when I was here, I felt the weight of history on me. You know, I thought, how can I really, how can I honor this city by being a part? And how can I be an active creator and participant in this? That was Kevin Hunsinger. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. Every week on this podcast, you'll hear from business owners, bartenders, artists, and other San Franciscans telling stories and responding to the question, what is it about this place? Welcome to Season 2, Episode 10, Part 1. It's not every day that you work at your dream job and are offered a chance to own the business. But that's exactly what happened to Kevin when he was selling rare books at Green Apple in the 90s. In this podcast, Kevin will walk us through how he came to be part owner of Green Apple Books. He'll talk about how the store thrived during the dot-com era, and how it continues to be a force in both the book world and the inner Richmond neighborhood to this day. Here's Kevin. It was pretty much uh, the two best things in life uh, for me, a girl and a bookstore. Uh, I was living in Santa Cruz, and this would have been 1990, 1991, and my girlfriend moved to San Francisco from Santa Cruz. She had a friend who worked at Green Apple. Uh, he was a really nice guy. His name's Jeff. He's an artist. Um, he worked in the receiving room. I guess uh, at a point, I just couldn't do without having Michelle in my life, and I thought it was a good excuse for me to leave Santa Cruz, come to the city, and I was 21 at the time. You and mentioned to me being from Te- or having lived in Texas and stuff. Yeah, so, yeah, I was raised so in Santa Texas. Cruz wasn't home. No, Santa Cruz wasn't home. Um, Texas was until 13, 14 years old, and my family moved to Chicago, uh, whereupon my mom immediately realized that those winters are not for her. So she took my sister, moved to the West Coast. I stayed and did my high school time outside Chicago in the Chicagoland area. And then as soon as I was 18, Told my dad, see ya, and I, you know, headed west, young man. So that's what brought me to Santa Cruz, where I, you know, surfed and worked in a bookstore called Bookworks, uh, which kept me connected to the book community. And when Michelle moved to San Francisco, uh, Jeff, her friend here, said, hey, we've got a, you know, we've got a place, you know, an opening at Green Apple Books. Uh, would you be interested? And I thought, you know, it was a perfect, you know, perfect confluence of, of things. So, uh, yes. So I interviewed over the phone and moved. Uh, I was hired while I still lived in Santa Cruz. I never knew Green Apple as a customer. I saw it for the first time when I came in to fill out the paperwork after being hired. And uh, it blew my mind. Did the bookstore in 1990 look anything like it does now it was exactly uh i mean the store is always changing the main store yeah the main store we had the main store we had well the annex wasn't there yet that was revolver records um but the main store proper which is the you know 506 clement street second floor and we had just opened that side room which is curious because that's uh the second floor of the building next door Mm -hmm. so when you're at the second floor of green apple and then you go into our side room you actually go up a step because the two Floor levels are not equal. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I hope the fire marshal isn't listening to this. But, yeah, so that was my first kind of week of work as I was installing bookcases in that side room. Okay. So I was, was going to ask what, what job you got hired at. As like a general bookseller, I was a part-time student and not a very good student. Uh, I was at City College. I've never really been interested in school. Uh, 
did not do well at all at any point. Um, but for whatever reason, I thought, oh, an English degree, you know, so well, the best I could do then would um, be to be a teacher <laughs> and stay in school the rest of my life. Um, but then I discovered Green Apple. And within the first six months of being there, I had fallen into the the wonderful world of used and rare books, which the two bookstores that I worked at before being at Green Apple were all new books. And this is an entirely different thing. Uh, it was more of a guild. Uh, I, I discovered that I could go to a bookstore, and at that time there were three bookstores, used bookstores on Clement Street. So at my lunchtime, I could actually grab a sandwich, go to another bookstore, find an underpriced book, come back to work, sell it to our used book buyers, and double my money, pay for <laughs> lunch, and everything's Jake. So once I learned that trick, um, it was all over for me. I was a lifer. Uh, Green Apple was accepting resumes from like Phi Beta Kappas at Stanford Whoa. and the like. And, and I thought, well, I mean, this, this would be my best case scenario anyway, mm -hmm. even if I did succeed at standard school. Right. So I said, the heck with it. I went full time, uh, was mentored by the original owner of the store, learned the use in rare craft. And uh, a couple of years later, he extended the invitation for myself and two other long-term employees to buy the store from him. Can you tell me a little bit about that original owner? Uh, his name was Richard Savoy. He started the store in 1967. And like water seeking its own level, it continued to expand and evolve uh, with the flood of books coming in. So he really understood the, the marketplace. He was really interested in the, um, I don't know, the culture of, of the book. It was started very soon after City Lights, which was the first sort of paperback book publisher um, and bookstore. So a very democratic approach to book selling. You know, you think uh, booksellers before that were I mean, maybe a little bit hoity-toity, you know, the, the carriage trade, you know, fine bindings and mm -hmm, things of that mm -hmm. nature. Um, but with City Lights doing sort of its, its affordable paperback so everyone can read a book and rich Savoy kind of took the the used book market. It was originally a used bookstore with focusing on graphic novel, well, comic books at that time. Mm -hmm. So the late 60s underground comics. Yeah. Uh, the stores opened in 1967. And um, so he kind of, um, he along with City Lights, really made books available to the general public in a very affordable way. But like, you know, what was happening to books with the advent of TV and in other other forms of media like did like were books struggling as a business or already or what what was going on well when i started at green apple and that's really when i when i kind of came up as a bookseller i you know i, I worked at a you know at a at like a barnes and noble and in, in the chicago area for a brief time and then it was a, a small independent store in santa cruz area called bookworks in aptos um but i never really got the big 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 picture and green apple will so anybody who walks in that store will immediately get a big, big, big picture. Yes. Uh, it's an extraordinary place. So it really opened my eyes to, as you say, like that maybe that tradition of book selling mm -hmm. that I never experienced before. And I think that um, books were a very, uh, you know, they were your your real entertainment the only entertainment you had for just you know hundreds of years since since Gutenberg mm -hmm. I mean that was it there mm -hmm. was no movie theater you know there was no television and even when I was a kid you know television had three channels and UHF and you had to get up off the couch and go click 
click click yeah yeah and then fiddle with the antenna to watch garbage you right know? It, was, it was all worthless <laughs> but that's what you had or you had books right. and so books were really um they were everything so in 1991 when i started at green apple i felt it was a it was a high water mark for for book selling for independent booksellers um there were we were defeating the chains there was a crown books on clement street and very soon after i came into green apple um i don't say it's my you know my doing but the crown books closed mm-hmm. so it was nice so really independent book selling was winning at that point. It was before Borders came in. Mm-hmm. There was this real little sweet spot. Now, Borders was an incredible store. It was an independent bookstore out of Michigan. And when they opened in San Francisco uh, on Union Square. Not far from here. Yeah, just yeah. around the corner from where we're at now. Uh, we went down and did a scouting trip. Mm-hmm. You know, they had extraordinarily deep backlist inventory. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the principals of Green Apple went down and scouted that store and mm-hmm. saw what they were doing successfully. Mm-hmm. And we would call titles. We go, oh, that's an interesting title. So, um, you know, it was, again, way before the internet. So you couldn't just go to Amazon and go, well, what are some books on? I want to develop our film noir section. Right. So I'm going to see what, you know, we'll, Google film noir books and you know so you really did have to scout and you had to go and be involved take notes take and have notes. knowledge in your head absolutely and recall and yeah and that was really that. something with the used and rare books yeah. you know um, for many 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 years I, I had like this and a lot of it's drifted because you just don't need to know it anymore right. but I could walk into any bookstore any place any used bookstore anywhere in the world and I would find an underpriced book and I just knew that this book they priced for $10 is a $500 book wow. and I would have the customers that could sell that and it wasn't even you know like oh that's this book you'd have to open the book and look and go maybe this is maybe it isn't i have to check page 47 to see if the period is misplaced between these two words oh. or something all these points and all these right different. so like um, misprints and weird exactly exactly stuff, exactly saying. so that's what i carried around with me um for for decades yeah. um during that so it really was more i i i I think book selling at that time was more of a guild, right. you know, to learn about rare books, to learn about the book selling trade. You had to be, you know, mentored. You had to learn it from someone else. And in the used and rare books, the people that are teaching you this are the people who make their money doing it. So it was almost like honor among thieves, mm. you know. So how do you get a thief to tell you their tricks, right. you know? <laughs> it was a really special time. Yeah. Um, and it's a time that will never happen again. So 91, you got the job. What year was it that you, and you said it was you and, and a few others who, who I had, asked uh, to come I, into I, the ownership? Or? Uh, yes, myself and um, another Kevin and a Pete. So two Kevins and a Pete, uh, the three of us did bought he, the store. <coughs> excuse me. Did he say why you three? Well, he had run it hands-on for 30-some years himself. Uh, I think it was 30 years and was involved in uh, in in viticulture viniculture he was a he grew grapes in boonville and really wanted to sort of reinvent himself and he did uh he did a great job with with that and uh very successful yeah boonville's a great place i visited his farms on numerous occasions and and fell out of valley in general yeah i I love it yeah it's spectacular for sure uh so yes um myself as the used and rare guy which is a major portion of Green Apple's operations. The other Kevin, Kevin Ryan, handled all the new book operations. And then Pete Mulvihill was a source general manager, would sort of interface with, you know, employees and bookkeeping and things like that. So it really was a, a perfect balance 
of uh, you know personalities and job responsibilities and it was expertise yeah 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 well we we had a wonderful opportunity to you know learn while doing Mm -hmm. uh very soon after i started at green apple um it became unionized Mm. uh, which is kind of unique it still is a union shop um but far being it from um, being a deterrent or something like mm-hmm. that for a, for an owner of a store, um, I thought as a as a young man of you know my early twenties, all of a sudden you know be, coming up at the helm of of one of the San Francisco institutions. Um, as a poor student, I'd never taken business classes. I'd never done anything like that. Well, you know the the union contract, for example, gave me a foundation from with which to work from. Wow, it so, was bottom up. Yeah, you know, it really was. So we, we did learn while doing. And awesome. um, yeah, and, and that's the kind of store that has always been, um, you know, uh, would allow you to kind of find your own place there. And if you had an interest and you had a talent, the store would allow you to nurture that and to develop that. Uh, if it benefited the store, it, you know, and, and yourself, Savoy would always give you that, you know, that ability. Uh, I had a separate standalone rare book business while it was a used mm-hmm. book buyer for him. Mm-hmm. He allowed me to pursue a completely, you know, the same the same thing I was getting paid by him to do outside of that store. Selling in the store or? Uh, sometimes I would. The store would be my customer also. But, oh, right. you know, at times if I scouted a book, you know, I, I have wonderful relationships and still do with many of the other booksellers in the country. So if I find a book that I know I have a customer for, um, you know, he would allow me to do that, to sell outside. You know, the store stock was the store stock. But a lot of times, you know, I would be able to sell a Green Apple book to my customer and take a little finder fee. He would allow yeah. that. Vice versa. You know, if I had a personal book that I would sell to a store's customer that I met through Green Apple, I would give them a little bit of something, mm. you know, sort of a gentleman's agreement. Cool. And uh, yeah, so it was... Um, it, it it really it it allowed us you know all the flexibility and the ability to to grow and to learn. Sounds like a fostering environment. Very much so. Yeah. Very and much so. so sorry, what year was it that you guys took over? So I would say that probably began. And you know, it's we're getting back. You know, decades. <laughs> so um, I'll have to do a little math here. It was a ten-year buyout. So we bought um, one share of store stock every year. Uh, it was very unique. We spent the first year of our partnership, so outside of that 10 years, to put the contract together, um, which we've shared with other bookstores too. And oh, you know, yeah, it's kind of you know a lot of a lot of people build a bookstore and they they work and they you know bring it up in 25, 30 years, and then you know the the store will never be worth what it is outside of you know the employees or outside of that that situation. You can't you know Green Apple's value it would be a, a smattering compared to you know if, if we got a buyer from outside of the world you know outside of our our network right and they come in and buy it you know they would um but if we could sell it to staff you know that know how important this is that know what this store's true value is you know it's, it's worth more so we uh we work to try to find a way to make that possible for us to happen so it was a 10-year buy out of the store's profits sweat equity basically mm-hmm. Let's say 15, 20, that would have been 20 years ago that probably that ball got started, maybe 20 more. So, so late ni- late, mid to late 90s. Mid to late 90s. Yeah. You had been there for a few maybe years. Maybe yeah, four years, I think five years yeah. at that point. Not yeah. that long. Yeah. yeah. And you were you said you were 
pretty still in your 20s mm-hmm. so now mm-hmm. you're, you're it's like you you had come to san francisco and other shit was going on in san francisco like let's not kid ourselves oh, sure like that's dot com one like right that was going on and you're right. like i moved here i've got this what was that like for you? I mean, I well, you know, I you found you found a sweet spot. I found a sweet spot. You know, I, I definitely felt like um, because what was also flourishing then was San Francisco's like sort of the spoken word scene. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that the literary community was exploding. As I said, you know, these these years were uh, extraordinarily fruitful years for independent bookselling, independent publishing. Um, people were really participatory in in the arts in San Francisco at that time. So so when I was here, I felt the weight of history on me. You know, I thought, how can I really, how can I honor this city by being a part and how can I be an active creator and participant in this? So it, it I had honor, you know. Um, so when the dot-com thing came through, um, it was exciting because I, I felt like I was, I was working on a parallel path. Um, I actually, actually at that time, I was a video game reviewer. I was pretty involved in, in sort of that. I was getting paid a dollar a word by GameSpot to do Whoa. online video game reviews. <laughs> That's not I a was bad gig. killing. Holy crap. There was a point I was thinking of, like, this was before I was offered to buy the store. So that, that gives it a good, good frame of reference, a good time frame. I was thinking of going down to part-time to take a real stab at, like, oh, God, this, I mean, I'm making thousands of dollars a month just on video game just reviews. Just playing you know? video games yeah and then writing about yeah it. exactly yeah. a dollar word i mean you weren't getting that from esquire you know i mean yeah. this is some serious yeah, money good. you know and um i thought oh, okay i'm gonna make a make a go at this and then um and then GameSpot said, oh, all of a sudden, just like, oh, no, we're doing everything in-house. Sorry. The gravy train dried up, and it's all yeah. over. And I was like, oh, thank goodness I didn't quit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, so I that and really quickly thereafter, you know, the offer was on the table to buy the store. So yeah. couldn't say no to that. Um, so, yeah, it was it was fun. I had a lot of people, and, you know, a lot of friends that were involved in that the tech industry. Um um, but yeah, it felt like, yeah, you guys go have your fun. You know, we're doing the real thing here, mm-hmm. you know, we're, with, uh, yeah, it's, it didn't, it, the first.com bubble or whatever, it, it didn't feel real. It well, just it w- didn't feel like it existed where, you know, brick and mortar store, something with, you know, years and years of history and tradition, like a green apple, like a city lights, you know, it felt like we were doing the, you know, the good Lord's work. Yeah. I was going to say like that, that phrase e-commerce which feels so dated now yeah but that was a thing in the late night like that was yes it was like oh we're gonna eat everything yeah. um but you still there still wasn't there still wasn't the force with the, which you you see it today like in right. the amazons and right whatever um no we took a stab at that um rich was very he was always the kind of guy who said okay here's a new thing we're going to try to take advantage of that. And he instilled that with us. Looking back on my time at Green Apple and my partnership with the people I worked with, um, we were always aggressive. We would always try a new thing. We embraced technology mm-hmm. from the very beginning. Um, you know, our social media has always been par excellence. Yeah, yeah, uh, yes. It's very important. I'll agree with that. Yeah, 100%. it's very important that you constantly, if you're not, if you're not constantly challenging yourself and you're not constantly trying to evolve, things go past you. Yeah. And it's just inevitable. So Rich um, was one of the very first to say okay we're going to start selling books online and we put a hundred thousand books online in a warehouse in south city he invested a lot of money and a lot of time a lot of effort he and i to try to make that work um 
it, it in fact it didn't the scale that we were were trying to do either you had to go really big or really niche and right. now we still have about 4000 I say we Green Apple has about 4000 used books online mm-hmm. but they're very very targeted very specific things and they're off the sales floor Mm-hmm. They're in a separate location. What was most important to me is that when you come to Green Apple, um, those books are for you, the customer right. who makes the effort of coming to the store. You know, it's a, if you put a good book up online, you know, a rare book, a desirable book, it'll sell in five minutes to somebody in Nebraska. You might as well really never even have that book. You know, I mean, if that's going to be your business model, don't have a storefront. You know, so it was a very delicate balance for a long time to try to find that. Versus if you have a store, then you have that human interaction. Yeah. yeah. Maybe a conversation. And Absolutely. A, and who knows what else after that. Right, right. It's a... It's, it's a well, it's tactile. It's a different Indeed. experience altogether. No, for sure. Well, I think over the years, you know, the, definitely the, the there was a high water mark of, well, I love the rare books and the, the hyper-modern. I think in the, the 80s, the art market collapsed, you know, the speculators in our world, and they started putting all their money into rare, like hyper-modern rare books. I say hyper-modern, like books published in the second half of the 20th century. So uh, one that springs immediately to mind is Cold Mountain. It was a National Book Award winner. It was a very popular title. Um, But while it was still available in hardcover, we would have the new book that might be in its 57th printing or something like that that we're selling you know as a new copy at the list price um, we would also maybe have remaindered copies so these are books that have been returned to the publishers from say something like a Costco or whatever and then outside companies would buy them in bulk and then sell them in bulk at you know pennies on the dollar so then we could have it as a new book at list price as a remainder for you know 4.98 and then I would have the first edition you know um, for three, four hundred dollars. They're all essentially the same book. They look the same. They read the same. You know, they feel the same. Yeah. There are no differences. But um, Don't I was tell so, Jimmy Collector that. Yeah, well, Jimmy Collector found that out because that market <laughs> oh, collapsed too. Um, so, uh, but that was really fun for quite a few years. That was, um, you know. It really was. It felt like a, like our own little dot com bubble yeah. <laughs> in there, you know. Yeah. So that was a that was a great thing. I also really enjoyed working with authors and working, you know, out in the community, um, removing the podium from author events, putting these authors in bars or in you know outside venues, clubs uh, where people weren't expecting to um, to see an author to hear an author read i would always try to marry the author with the venue so it would always kind of sync up right and uh and and the the way that you know that symbiosis resonated with the community uh was extraordinary and it's something that uh, i'm going to hope to continue to do you know something of that for the rest of my life that was definitely a game changer yeah well Well, because they're just i mean at the end of the day they're just people yeah, absolutely. So let's have something more relaxed and sure. more casual and yeah. more normal. Right, and just, right. And it, it breaks down the barriers, you know. Yeah. So so uh, to, to hear an author read and, and not have to wait in line to have your book signed, but sit next to him at the bar and, you know, maybe, you know, hey, this book's special because, you know, Johnny Author spilled his, spilled his bourbon on it. You know, it's great. There's a signature, but look, that's his, you know, yeah. that, that's his peanut shell yeah. or something. I don't know, you know. But it, it would. It would connect people in a much more genuine way. Every year was a highlight. Yeah. 
That place was really special. It still is very special. We're, ta- we're talking 20, 20-ish at least years. Yeah, I was at Green Apple Books for almost 28 years. Yeah, um, yeah in my 28th year now, I guess. So um, the ties to the community, you know, there's really just, you, you just can't, I can't overstate how th- that um, a used bookstore has this uh, this symbiotic relationship with his customers, you know, as an owner, as a principal, as a driving force of that store for almost 30 years, I do feel I had a hand in its development, but nothing like the people that would sell their books to us on a daily basis. They were literally building that store every single day. Double meaning of literally. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so... And, and and I would never know from day to day what I would experience. You know, granted, I would kind of do a similar job buying the used books, pricing the used books, working the floor um, with staff, this and that. Um, but every single day was different because I didn't know if I would get a call to go buy a world-class library of, uh, you know, 5,000 books of, you know, um, or, uh, uh, or one day I was at, at lunch and I'm just kind of working at the buy counter snacking on some cheetos having a little snack and someone literally comes in with two letters from leo tolstoy who wanted to sell these and i had to wipe the cheeto schmutz off my fingers before i started looking at these (laughs) these letters from tolstoy and i said these are nice thank you they're a little bit out of our league i think there's an auction house you know i can refer you to that would be better suited for these so really every day was a new day but that's kind of an honor also that someone thought of you for those yeah (laughs) uh yeah (laughs) Just a little off. Sure, sure. No, it's a, yeah, we we have customers that uh, I've seen, you know, once a week for almost 30 years and then meeting new people, great new people every day, you know, and just, uh, it was, it was really, yeah, explosive in the, in the the community that ties to the community. There's, I've never experienced anything and I never will experience anything like it. That was Kevin Hunsinger. Check back Thursday when Kevin will talk about his next project, a San Francisco cultural history museum. Music for the podcast is by Otis McDonald. Film photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay up to date on everything we do. Dig through our past episodes, which are up on our website, storiedsf.com. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. Send comments, suggestions, or whatever's on your mind to storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.